0: Welcome to Marketing Demystified, the podcast that connects the dots for business leaders to drive revenue through effective marketing strategy. We chat with marketing experts on different topics that will help you ramp up your revenue. We stream live on LinkedIn, Twitter, and YouTube, and you can listen to us on your favorite podcast platforms. Marketing Demystified, the podcast, is presented to you by GrowGetter, your partner in growth marketing. And here's today's
1: episode. Hello, everyone. Are you ready to be inspired, informed, and empowered with actionable tips to transform your marketing game? You're in the right place. Welcome to Marketing Demystified. I'm your host, Jen Mancusi, CEO and co-founder of GrowGetter, your growth marketing partner. Now, content can drive real business results. I know it and have seen it, but... Many companies are struggling to move their content from happening to performing. So, I want to talk today about how that can be changed and some of the strategies you can put in place to actually drive those business results through a content strategy. To discuss this topic, I'm joined by Growgetter's very own director of content strategy, Christoph Trapp, globally recognized content marketer, podcaster himself, and producer of Marketing Demystified. Welcome to the show, Krista.
0: Jen, thanks for having me. And I'm glad I pushed the right button because, yeah, I'm producing this thing while we're talking on air. That doesn't happen too often.
1: I know. And usually I'm not even allowed to reference the man behind the curtain. So I'm really excited to bring you out into the forefront and uh, hear from you and your expertise on content strategy.
0: Sounds good. Let's do it.
1: All right. So let's just to get started, maybe we'll kind of um, hit the ground running with why companies struggle with uh, content performance. Um, Why do you think that is? why, Why companies struggle creating content that actually performs?
0: You know, I'm very good at taking directives. And so I'm going to put myself in the foreground. Boom. That is really weird to talk to yourself. But so, you know, here's why companies struggle with it. Uh, I think the first thing it really comes down to three overarching things. The first thing really is um, they don't understand how it works, um, and you know when you listen to Joe Polizzi, the godfather of content marketing, he used to say content strategy takes six months to twelve months, right, to take off. And I think what people sometimes forget about is that that actually means you have to start right now, and you have to create the right kind of content. You have to create the right channels. You have to be on the right channels, uh, and you have to create content that's unique. And when I was in healthcare, Jen, I was—I wouldn't, I shouldn't say I was laughing, but I was. And every hospital wanted to do a, an article for Heart Month, right? The four signs of a heart attack, the five signs of a heart attack, the six signs of a heart attack. I'm sorry, but the five signs of heart attack will not perform better than the four signs of a heart attack if it's basically the same content. You have to have a unique story. And I think a lot of companies don't understand that. I think a lot of companies struggle with that concept, how to do that, um, right along the lines of understanding. A lot of companies are so so busy selling their product, and I don't blame them, right? I want to sell my product too, you know? I want to, you know let's grow, go, grow, get after it, right? Let's work with grow getter. But at the end of the day, um, you have to talk about related things. And I think that can be a struggle for companies to wrap their head around it. What are those related things? And then of course you had Andy Crestodino on the show who I frequently quote. And he said, you know, if you go too far away from your core things, that can be an issue too. So uh, something to keep in mind. The second thing is the skills. And, you know, I grew up as a journalist and, maybe not everybody loves me and that's fine you know that that's actually a sign that you're doing something well and that you get out there because the more people pay attention to you there will be people that don't like you right um but i have a skill just because i grew up as a journalist like I'm, at some point you're going to have to interrupt me or i'm just going to keep talking right like i'm good at talking uh i'm good at finding the stories i just had i was talking to steve miller uh who is an author of uncopyable and he said um what I like about Christoph's podcast is he asks a lot of good questions. So you have to figure out what are the skills that you need to actually get it done. And sometimes it's writing. Sometimes it's optimization. Sometimes it's podcasting. I say that thank you so much for having me on the show. I don't know what happened. Hold on. <laughs> No button. That was Steve Miller, but I don't know why he started talking. So my apologies. Um,
1: perfect. Perfect interjection.
0: <laughs> hold on, Jen. Interjection. Live TV. Like you just got to roll with it. That's another skill. You just got to roll with it. I mean, seriously, it's not um, that difficult. But at the end of the day, you need some kind of skills. Right. And and it might even be writing skills. But I'm telling you one thing, writing is way different from when I grew up in journalism, because if you're my boss, and and you are, but you read my article, and guess what? If you don't like it, it's a crap article. And if you don't like it, and I can get it published, and it performed, it's a good article. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's very, very different. And then the final thing is, and you're way more of an expert on this topic than I am, is but companies struggle with measurements, I'll give you one quick example is when you look at search traffic, right? SEO still works. I mean, at the end of the day, I don't know how many millions or billions of people go online every day and search for something and search for solutions and search for stuff, right? 80% of searches are informational or something like that. And 20% are uh, transactional. Um, And when you look at that, There is impressions, how many people see your results. And then there's clicks. And then there's click-through rates and there's other things. And depending who you show those numbers to, you get widely different reactions. So, for example, when you show the search impressions to, like, I'm totally oversimplifying. But somebody who is focused on growth marketing only, right, they might say, why do I care about that? I only care about the clicks. And more importantly, I only care about the people that actually click and buy, which,
1: mm-hmm.
0: right, it's a funnel. But when you show that same thing to PR, you know what they say? They say, we've had two million impressions. Holy cow, we're done. We're done for the quarter. So it's yeah. just something to think about. I think they all matter, whether you're in growth marketing or PR, uh, because at the end of the day, the more people see your brand out there, right, and you show up, it's just like advertising, right? It's repetition and in B2B, you probably know the number better, and depending on who I ask, it's a different number anyways, but it certainly takes more than two touch points to get people to pay attention to you.
1: Oh, that's a hundred percent true. Like you described the funnel, right? Like it's a, it's a long game, especially yes. in be. and the more you can get yourself out there, it's about staying top of mind. So that's where the impressions really are critical, but you're right, depending on who you talk to. And that's, critical for kind of understanding your internal audience, like who are you talking to that you're um, sharing these results with? If it's people that are, you know, thinking about brand awareness and visibility, then impressions are an important um, number. I think, I think actually it's, it's more about like what the, so what of the, of the metric that you're presenting at at, in any context, like what, why do I care about that number? And that, That is, like you said, even about the content, creating the story, you have to create a story around the metrics too, not just the fact that there's 2 million impressions, but what does that mean? You know, Mm -hmm. well, we had 1 million a month ago, so that's a a huge increase. That's 1 million more people have seen our content. Here's what we're going to do with that now. Um, That story around the so what is really critical on the measurement piece.
0: and you know, the other thing, I used to call this the accidental SEO strategy, and here's what happens. So if you just go, hey, I want to write about whatever, right? And you do that every week, you never look at research of any kind, guess what happens? You will rank for something at some point. It might be completely unstrategic, and it likely is, but if you do that every week, you will rank for something. So so my point is, so if you have 2 million, and that's a lot, search impressions, Who cares if it's for the completely wrong terms? I had a, we're going to keep picking on healthcare. I worked with a client once in healthcare and they had nothing to do with cancer at all. Like they were like senior healthcare and they rang for cancer or something because they wrote one article that rang really well. And they're like, why do we care? I'm like, well, why did you write the article to begin with? And they said, we don't know. Somebody wanted to write it. And so it's, you know, Yes, you want to drive the numbers up, but if you're ranking for stuff that's completely irrelevant to your actual target buyer, like let's get strategic, you know?
1: For sure. Yeah. I think one strategy that can be interesting is when, you know, ranking for alternatives to what you offer, right? Like capturing that audience of people who are looking for something that is competitive to what you do, um, and being able to serve up your your own expertise as an alternative that could be interesting. But I I think this is a good segue of like you know what what types of content should companies be thinking about creating for the purposes of you know performance essentially.
0: Oh, it's a it's a good question. We could probably talk about this for three hours, which we don't have. So I'll try <laughs> to keep myself short, um, but you know, at the end of the day, I'm a big proponent in content on your website to build your little, let's call it fiefdom, right? And you have to be on your, you have to have a good website, like the end. That's literally the only thing you control in the digital universe, right? So make sure your website is completely correctly set up. I cannot give you any tips on technical setup. Like, You know, I even talked to an expert on that. So just out of the box, you have to get the basics right. Barry Schwartz says, here's my first tip. If you do nothing else on SEO, make sure you got the no robots text thing, um, you know, unchecked or or it's, you know, you're not asking uh, search engines not to index you. You'd be shocked how often that happens when people launch new websites. They forget Mm -hmm. to turn that off because they had it on when they were building it. Um, But I'm a big fan of doing that. Articles on your website, try to rank for things. And the reason is that's a long-term strategy, right? So if you're writing, let's say you have a team and they're writing, let's say you've published 100 articles over three years or something like that. That content will still perform For a while longer, even if you stop, and I would not recommend to stop, but even if you were to stop, that content will still perform Um, as opposed to a paid campaign. If you run it and, you know, sometimes a paid campaign is also the way to go. But at the end of the day, guess what? When you stop paying for that ad to run. It's going to stop running. Like, and that doesn't happen with SEO. Then I'm a big fan of the COPE model, create ones, publish everywhere. Um, every content gets thrown a parade, you know, and uh, back in the day, you would write an article and that's it. But now you can take that article, you can hack it up, you can uh, do social media posts with it, you can do email marketing with it. It all gives you good source content for all those different things. Depending on what you do exactly, try some short form video content. I mean, maybe if you're trying to build your audience on YouTube, not saying you should, but in case you do, do some YouTube shorts. You're not going to catch me singing on or not singing, dancing on YouTube shorts. But I've had a lot of success just kind of publishing short form videos. Sometimes they are music. Sometimes they're just me talking about something that's um, controversial or something like that. And they currently perform. So my point is Always look for those opportunities on the networks of what's currently working. And um, like LinkedIn, I'm a big believer in newsletters on LinkedIn currently, because I still think they work way better than posts for a lot of companies, you know, but but it's just something to keep in mind. What's currently working, try it, you know, really beat it to death for lack of a better term. There's probably a better way to phrase that. But um you know, do all those different things. And then really reuse your content over and over. And then my final tip when it comes to that, Jen, is in my journalism world, you'd write an article and you're done. And I wouldn't recommend that at all anymore. What I would say is you write articles, go back to them sometimes and um, update them when you have new content. Um, You know, in, in fact, and if you use WordPress and Yoast, you can even say, this is really important content. We'll call that, we'll call it in that cornerstone content. And then every six months, because it's important, Yoast will bug you and say, this is outdated, updated. And so you literally have to go back in and find something new to talk about. Um, and like I did some articles on writing techniques. And guess what? When I got the ping, I was like, this article doesn't even mention AI, like easy update. Right, I would have never thought about doing that. So there are those tricks, those tricks to do that and to go back. And the last word, I guess, on updating content, you can even do it on podcast episodes. So if you know we're publishing this this uh, podcast episode, and let's say in six months we think there is something else, we could literally go in and add another section. Especially if this podcast episode is still performing, which can happen.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think another tip too is like uh, I think it it is served up in, um, uh, Google search console, the concept of decaying content. So Mm -hmm. maybe it was on the rise for a while, or it was ranking quite well. And then if it starts to decline, um, those are, that's a good opportunity to identify content that might need a little bit of an update, especially if it's rank, if it was ranking for a keyword that's really important to you. Um, you know, you talked about like the content that you put on the website, like what, we talked a lot about like the written content and you touched a little bit on podcasts but like are there other form like formats besides just text that actually rank or that actually google or the other engines care about um when it comes to optimization
0: <clears throat> so what's interesting about that question to me is uh, yes the answer is the short answer is yes the longer answer or the medium sized answer i guess is that companies forget about some of the best practices. So for example, if i publish an infographic and you let, you know we put in hours, right? Like somebody wrote it, they conceptualized it, they brainstormed, a designer created it and it's great. And then they upload it without an alt tag, right? It's not optimized for search. It's it right. sounds so simple, but you will be shocked how many people forget about that stuff. So you have to still optimize the stuff video is a little bit easier, honestly, um, if you use YouTube. So I know some companies, they have like, they use other third-party vendors. And so I don't know, I don't know about how it works for them, but if you use a YouTube video, so like this um, podcast is live streamed to YouTube as well, and we're going to take that video or not, we're not, it's already there. It's on the GrowGetter website as well. It's automatically optimized for search, right? So like, I think you and I maybe even had that discussion a few years ago and we're like, how do you optimize videos for search? Well, the answer is if it's on YouTube, you don't have to, you just embed it and boom, you're done. And it actually shows up in Google Search Console. So every other type of content you wanna use, um, make sure it's optimized. The latest thing, and this is still my funny story because ha ha, I was correct. I was laughed at, Jen, 10 years ago, or maybe longer now, maybe 14 years ago. And I said to a newspaper company that I was helping out with with digital content, I said, what if we take the article and put the audio of the article on top of the article? Mm. And they all looked at me like I was crazy, right? They were like, why would we ever do that? People can't just read the article. They're like, do you mean like additional audio, like different audio? I'm like, no, just literally the red article. And they all thought I was crazy, and today, there's an entire industry yeah. that is literally all they do. It's AI based, right? They read articles. The Washington Post has it. New York Times, I, maybe New York Times doesn't have it, but Washington Post. I literally, when I see a new article, I don't even read it. I just I listen to it like a podcast almost. So do something like that. I don't think that helps with SEO, but it helps with accessibility. Super important. Um, more important than ever, probably, to get that right, so so everybody can listen and consume your content. And the other thing that I found, Jen, is every time you do something new, um, it actually helps you stand out in your industry, especially if you're first. So you may have noticed, a lot of people are starting their branded podcast. And I think it's great, they should do it. But whoever is out the door first doing that, they have an advantage. And I'll give you one more example on that. Back in the day, when I was helping United Way, when I was working with United Way, we created a print brochure, yes, they have a lot of people that don't even look at computers, but we used a layer app, right? Like you can lay, like it's augmented reality and you can literally put your phone on top of the thing and you could see like a video, for example, or whatever the thing is that's augmented. And it was so successful. It was on the news. It was all over. The, everybody was talking about it. And when I looked at the metrics of how many people actually used that thing, it's like 14 people <laughs> you know <laughs> nobody even used it, but it was a success because guess what we were first, nobody else had it so people paid attention so the newness factor is so important in um, content asset types
1: I think that's such an important like um, recommendation or suggestion just for marketing as a whole to ha- mm-hmm. make sure your team is embracing a culture of experimentation. Mm-hmm. because there's so mm-hmm. many new developments happening in content in marketing in advertising every day there's new stuff coming out there's new technologies available there's new content forms and you don't know unless you try it if it's going to be impactful and that's one thing I've always loved about working with you you'll be like oh, I just posted some audio on this thing called racket right like It didn't take any extra time to do it. It didn't perform, but we wouldn't know without trying. And that's what I love about being a marketer is that like there is never a day that's the same as the day before, but you really do have to embrace that culture of experimenting. If you have the measurement down to begin with, then you have the freedom to experiment and try things and know what's going to work and what isn't. Um, and try to be the first, be the first to try something, get on clubhouse and do a call before it disappears. Right. And there's, there's no harm in, you know, trying something that doesn't work as well, but it will hurt you to do the same old thing over and over again and not innovate.
0: It's very true. And the other thing I want to mention on that is, you know, it, Content SEO strategy is—it's a little bit like the stock market, right? So, for example, you know when Google run, um, rolls out algorithms all the time, right? Mm-hmm. So, like you know, one one thing that prompted this whole discussion was the helpful content um, algorithm, and since that came out, there's been like four more, right? So it's all the time. So it's up. So it goes up and down. And the more content you have, not that I'm a stock market expert, Jen, or anything like that, but the more stocks you have, right? The more chances is that it's gonna go up long-term. So you have to create the right amount of content. It can't just be one article every quarter or something like that. um, And then kind of ride the wave and you see the trend going up.
1: So you've got to diversify your content portfolio is what we're hearing. Basically. (laughs) I think that's great. I mean, it's it's exactly right because if you have all your eggs in one basket, and the algorithm changes, and all of a sudden something's not performing anymore, then it's it's a heavier lift to get it get it back. Um, now, when you're creating content, um, what are the the necessary steps that marketers or or writers need to take to ensure that the content is optimized?
0: Well, the 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 first step, honestly, is you have to figure out. Uh, what people actually search for, and I've had writers who I actually uh, respect very well, but who were pretty new for dig- to digital writing. They yeah. would message me, "Hey, Christoph, this article is ranking number one," and I'm like, "Oh, cool. How many people search for that term?" "Oh, um, none." <laughs> "Well, your number one ranking does not make any difference." I mean, let let me uh, caveat that a little bit. I mean, it it makes a difference, maybe potentially at some point, because you know, there's still a gazillion of um, new searches every day. I don't know what the right number is right now, but used to be millions, I think, at one point, Um, maybe more. And so some of that matters. But my point is we only have so much time in the day. So we really shouldn't focus on the content that doesn't have any searches. So you have to figure out what are people searching for. I'll give you an example. On ChristophTrap.com. I wrote the short article on what is a rough draft? Why? Because people search for it. I don't know why they search for it, but I wrote about that. Just It was just like, here's what that is, like super short. So you have to look at what people are actually searching for, and then you have to align it with what can you actually talk about, right? So whether people search for uh, the Barbie movie, it's irrelevant to me. I will not write about that topic. Mm-hmm. I will probably not rank for that topic. So you have to align you know, search volume and then also the things you can talk about. And then you have to figure out what's your unique angle. At the end of the day, um, everybody has a unique story. And my, my joke when it comes to this, Jen, and you, I, I think somebody actually posted this on LinkedIn as a joke. And, you know, you see people post stuff like, I called 911 and here's how that relates to marketing. Hmm. What they're actually, tr- like, totally a silly example. And don't do that. I hope you don't have to call 911. But what they're trying to do is they're trying to pull their unique story into the overarching mix of what they're going to talk about, right? Um, well, you know, go get co-founder, Kristen Luck. You see it in her content all the time. You know, I I just came back from SMR and blah, 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 blah. Like, you know what I mean? Like she ties it to her own stories and then she talks about something business related. And that's kind of how you have to do it to stand out. Um, if you have a controversial opinion on a topic, or, some, or that's not the right way to put that. If you have an opinion on a controversial topic, then you know that can be helpful. You know, like gated content. People have opinions about that, right and left. So you can kind of hit into those things. Mm-hmm. Um, I hate to say it to everybody who's telling me that people have a short attention span. They do. But do you see what I'm doing with my voice? Do you see what I'm doing with, I'm trying to grab your attention every 10 seconds. This is totally second nature. I'm not counting in my head. I'm not that smart. But short attention spans have nothing to do. See, now my hand. Has nothing to do with you can't read a long article. If that was true, nobody would ever read a book ever. What it has to do with is that in a long article, and your articles should be long, 800 to 1,000 words minimum, We're not going to say they have to be much longer but you need sub you need subheads you need paragraph breaks you need bulleted lists you know you need stuff to cater to the people who actually will read it and the people that actually will skim it Mm. makes no difference if our opinion is that people should read content people will do whatever they want to it's our job to make sure that they can consume the content so you kind of have to cater to those things and figure out how to present it in a way, and that's of course where some of the multimedia assets come into. I think a podcast is a great way to break up text. Right? You just put a pop, plop a podcast in there. Whether people listen to it or not, it still looks nice. Um, so you have to create content with all those different things in mind.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And the <laughs> the capturing the attention. I mean, like I, this is a. You know, I usually think about this in the context of email strategy, but I think it applies for a blog and, um, and written content that's longer form, no matter what, like the goal of the headline or in, in the context of email, the goal of the subject line is to get people to open it, get people to click that link. The goal of the first line of the email is to get people to read the second line of the email. It's the same with blog, right? You, the goal of that first paragraph is to get people to keep reading. Like I love how you described it. Like if, People did, really didn't have an attention span. They would never read books. But we do. We have the capability to do it. We just have to be engaged. And that's where that, that unique story and that, like, you've got to be learning something. Um, you know, hopefully the, you're showing up on the first page for a question that I've typed in. I'm, I'm looking for the answer to it. So if you're providing me the answer in an engaging way, I'm going to read the whole thing. Um, but.
0: And the other thing on that, Christopher Penn has said this himself. He says marketing content in general is some of the most boring content out there. And so like at the end of the day, the more fun and entertaining and uh, maybe just a little bit exciting, you can make the content without going too overboard that people can't figure out what you're talking about it can really help, right? Like that could be your writing, could be your tone, could be how it's displayed, you know, those kind of things.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I think some of that attention span stuff is really about like, what is your content competing with? Like Mm -hmm. the internet is just so saturated with TikTok videos and recipes and news and business stuff and stories about people calling 911 and how that relates to growth. And, you know, you're you're just constantly being pulled in so many different directions, so it really just has to capture your attention and and be at the forefront in the moment when you need it um, to be able to compete with all those other things that are that are trying to vie for our attention.
0: Yeah, and that's especially if I can go down this rabbit hole for a second. Yeah. That's one reason why I really love the whole concept in market research about the human understanding, right? Like, for example. Um, I'm I'm, um, not that I need any more New York Yankees hats, quite frankly, but I'm I'm looking, you know, on fanatics or whatever, or maybe make it a B2B example. I'm looking for some software solution. And guess what? The Yankees now have a good season. I'm watching them and I get distracted by a totally unrelated thing because I'm watching them and I forgot about what I was doing. It like all that affects everybody, everything. Right. It's like I'm a human, not just a consumer.
1: A hundred percent. Yeah. And that's why it's so critical to be able to, you know, be there at the right time because it, it, nobody is like so focused on searching, discovering and purchasing all in the same um, motion, right? It's it's just a, a constant context shift. So staying top of mind and being front and center when somebody actually is ready to engage with you is so critical. No doubt. No doubt. You mentioned the helpful content update from Google, uh, which is really what, what sparked this conversation. But there's so many algorithm updates and Google isn't the only one, though it's <clears throat> probably the primary, at least in this market. Like, how do companies stay on top of this stuff when it's constantly changing? And, and, and what can we learn from maybe some of the recent releases that have come out?
0: So my answer to that is that I pay attention to it just because Barry Schwartz like shares the play by play, right, the punch by punch updates on everything. I would recommend to follow him, um, but but I don't think you want to update your content strategy just because of every little bitty algorithm update, right? So for I'll give you a, the the example of the helpful content update, and there was people their websites just went. Downhill, I mean, they lost so much traffic because guess what their content wasn't helpful. There was one company they wrote articles and they just used AI to write the articles and I'm a big fan of AI I use it for as much stuff as I can, but I don't use it to just write generic crap and crap is a um, industry term, Jen in case you didn't know stands <laughs> for content really annoying to people, so we don't want to create that content, but you know at the end of the day. Um, that's what happened. And they literally shared their articles with uh, Google and John Mueller responded publicly and says, well, you're not ranking because you're just creating the same stuff everybody else has already written about. And there's nothing new. It's like the same stuff, right? It's like the four signs of a heart attack version for their industry. Mm -hmm. So you want to make sure your content actually helps your audience. And this is really hard because guess what? Guess what I know? Guess what I care about? Guess what you care about, right? We care about ourselves, right? And we know our stories and we know how things affect us, but how does it affect our customers or potential customers? What are they searching for? I am still amazed by how often companies write content and they don't even know what their customers search for or they don't even know what their problem is. So you have to keep that top of mind. And then basically you just create content around that topic. Um, And I I know I keep saying writing, but you can also do little videos, podcasts, right? You can put them on YouTube. They show up, right? There's literally a thing on the top, videos. Sometimes videos show up right on the top. Um, So all those different things can help. Uh, But helpful content at the end of the day, what it means is it's helpful, not to you, sorry. It's helpful to your customers and your potential customers. So you have to keep that in mind. And what's interesting about that is especially if you talk to growth marketers, right? Like we want calls to action and whatever and we do. But you've got to be very careful how you have those conversions, right? So if I so let's just talk about, you know, the the let's say I have an informational search, most searches on the web are informational and it fits in with what you sell. Well, that visitor is not going to want to buy anything from you the first time they visit, right? So the conversion point is not a sale. The conversion point is sign up for my newsletter, right? Or, or something like that. Or some people would say, follow me on social. I would not recommend that. But I mean, w- whatever you want to do. But, but right, so you have to think about what's the next step for them to convert um, and then make that easy for them. But at the end of the day, helpful content, if it's all about you, how great I am and you know I'm the best content marketer um, on, on the planet. Um, don't be surprised if people are not going to read it. Don't be surprised if your website tanks when there's another algorithm update.
1: Yeah, And I think this goes back to why like what you were describing in the beginning of the conversation about the skill sets of a content marketer and like writing content that is unique and helpful, those are that's an art. That is not a science, right? Like, how do you define something as unique? How do you define something as helpful? It's just so critical that you have people that have that skill set to be able to, you know, do the research, know what you want to rank for, write something from a from their right perspective with the story, right? Like it's so and, and I think this is why a lot of companies get it wrong, you know, because it's 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 not something that can just be you know, sort of tossed out there and like, let's slap some content on the site. I think even the people like you described, like don't know what they want to rank for, or what the keywords are, or if their search volume, some of them even do, but just the functional structure of the article isn't optimized and there's tools out there that can help with that. But, you know, there's, there's so many, uh, so much expertise that goes into doing this right. Um, it's not that it's hard, but you do have to know what, once you know how to do it it's it's not um you know what I'm saying um, but I think that's where where it's really it's really critical yeah. to have the right skills in place to be able to execute on this
0: It's true and you know what's interesting to me about that topic too is that um, sometimes people just know everything like I know like you machine don't tell me what to do do you know what I mean so I'll give you an example if people are not I don't even know how to describe it. If people are not trained writers, they have long sentences. It's just a fact, like the end, because that's how we think, right? But here's the reality. It's not my opinion. It's a fact. Long sentences bring down readability, right? So whether or not you like the long sentences is irrelevant because it literally hurts the performance of the article because the readability goes down. Um, And so, and then the other thing too, like, so for example, an SEO best practice, is you should have a subheadline every 300 words right mm-hmm. and sometimes people argue with that well i don't need any more subheads because of whatever whatever reason because i know better or when i went to marketing school in 1992 <laughs> you know they didn't teach me anything about subheads no offense i went to to college in the 90s too but do you know what i'm saying so um so so you have to kind of learn those things and figure out what's the best practice Test it and then break it when you want to yeah. or when it makes sense, I guess. Not when you want to, just because.
1: Just right. When there's good reason. Right. Yeah. And <laughs> I think another point that you made that I think is really important is thinking about where, where are people in your funnel when they come across different types of content? And to your point, like this is when somebody's doing informational search and they come across your website for the first time, that's top of funnel. This is awareness dri- driven, right? And you want them to find what your content helpful and start to think about your brand in a different way. Um, and if they do subscribe to your blog, now we're able to use other tactics to move them through the funnel. Um, and I think that's probably a good segue too into the, my, my next question for you, which is like, how does SEO actually drive business growth and, and revenue performance?
0: So it's a team sport. Marketing is a team sport. Sorry. If you didn't if you don't like that answer, but live as a team sport to an extent, right? And so, first of all, SEO gets people to your website, right? For things that matter to your business. Now, if your website is a horrible user experience, if there's no calls to action, maybe at worst you click the contact us button and it goes to a 404 page. Mm. You cannot blame. SEO. SEO, did it, it's part on the equation, right? Then you have to set up the right calls to action for the content. And the other thing I think, Jen, that, that companies really overlook, and once again, Andy Cristalina gets all the credit in the world, but what SEO, so let's say you have 100 well-written informational and some transactional blog posts, what, so, and they all rank well. What they also do is they help your product pages rank well. So if you have a product page on whatever, uh, qualitative focus groups, or of course, you know, of course, the focus qualitative, but you know what I mean, focus groups, um, your other articles, even though you can't measure it directly, help that page rank higher. Mm-hmm. So I have, I have a really hard time with people trying to tell me that the SEO didn't have a business impact just because they don't know exactly that that page is ranking higher, but you can look at that page and see how it went up over the last few years or whatever last few months because of your content strategy. Uh, but it is very important to have right the right calls to action to, you know, have linkage and, and all those different things together. And that's kind of, I think why it's a team sport. Um, SEO drives business results. Again, if you're targeting the right things, right? If I, sell lollipops but i only write about red bicycles i'm not gonna win that i'm not gonna win that race right
1: yeah for sure and and i think you're right it is a team sport and none of these none of these efforts none of these strategies work on their own it is really about understanding the customer journey and where are people when they are coming across different types of content. And it's, and if you can intelligently serve them the right type of content in that right moment, um, that helps to to slowly move them through the funnel because it's not, um, it's never a, a first discovery and then a purchase all in the same motion. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is getting harder and harder to directly attribute a single Source to a single dollar, um, but it's kind of a rising tide lifts all boats scenario. Like you were saying, like when one article ranks, it helps the whole website. I mean, the more the the more optimized your site is with the individual pages and content and backlinks and all that stuff, you're just improving your domain authority. So if you can, that's the sort of collective metric. Like you might be looking. We talked about impressions. We talked about click through rate, but the domain authority of your website is sort of this combination of like a site that's functioning well from a technical SEO perspective and ranking well from a content SEO perspective. And as you improve your domain authority, then everything you know is optimized and performs better. This is why that like 12-month long game, <laughs> you'll be able to see those leading indicators in the short term. But, but those are the big ones that if you can improve those, you're going to get more people to your homepage and to your product pages, not just yes. the content that you're writing
0: exactly but you know it's a, and, and i don't know what the right number is anymore honestly i mean i used to say 6 to 12 months i think if you really get started like a medium middle of the road website like you might see results like in month 2 or 3 um but if you have a website like doesn't rank for anything like you know one domain authority and domain authority is not an official ranking thing anyways but it does give you um it does give you an idea where you stand Uh, It might take a little bit longer, but only because they hadn't done anything
1: before. For sure. For sure. The only other thing I'll say too, like going back to the measurement piece, like if you've got your, you know, you're measuring your SEO and you're posting your content, like having this linked up properly to a CRM is critical because then you actually can see the impact and you can see that, you know, hey, nine out of 10 times when we sell a new project or whatever the whatever it is that your business is selling, they've hit on this particular blog article at some point in their journey, then you know you need to write more content like that, Um, that you can actually tie in the revenue with the, the experience that that prospective customers are having along the way. Um, so having that foundation that of, of measurement and, and tracking is really critical to proving out the business results. Um, but I'm a big believer, the organic content strategy, if done right, you can really actually save a lot of money on your marketing budget. Um, so it's, it's worth investing in even though it does feel like a, a long-term strategy. I think people do maybe give up, um, before the miracle happens, <laughs> so to speak, but um, it's worth it's worth investing the time um, to save the money in the long term and and um, really drive that the the measurable business business results if it's tracked properly.
0: You know when talks about when you talk about tracking, I know sometimes when my trigger on that is you know you can actually track where people came from, you can see what they did, and that's great, and we should do people should do that. Hundred percent agreed. But the other thing too, especially if you have a branded podcast that's taken off, ask people where they heard about you. I mean, I've seen companies, their podcast took off. And I think that one number I saw for one company that it was like, this is like 70% of new customers say, I listened to your podcast. And they said, how would we ever know? Right. And and I know there's some technologies like they measure um, your IP address or whatever, but it's, I don't know. Do you know what I mean? Like, So just ask, how would you hear about us? And if everybody says we listen to your podcast, maybe your podcast is really doing a good job. That's not always the job of a podcast, but it's a very nice uh, side effect. We'll call it that.
1: Yeah, that's a great tip, especially as it gets harder and harder to actually track cookies and IP. And um, there's a lot of opt outs for that kind of tracking these days. So um, it's a great tip to kind of ask people at different stages in the journey how they got to your site or how they convert why they converted or where they first heard from you. So um, be sure to include that in your in your forms or in your sales conversations um, to get get a a fuller picture of, of the customer journey. Well, I can't thank you enough, Christoph, for coming out from behind the curtain into the forefront. Thank you so much for uh, producing this amazing podcast and driving our own content strategy and that for our customers and sharing some of your um, expertise with us today. I really appreciate it.
0: You bet. Thanks for having me, Jen. And I'm going back behind the curtain.
1: That sounds good. Uh, Thanks, everyone, for listening in. Um, I'll be back with another episode next week when I chat with Brooke Sellis. We'll see you then.